Sounds like a surveyor song. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I woke up this morning, hung over and all. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. You know, I got to start listening to more country music. Yeah? Yeah. I've been trying to get you. Well, I'm not really into country music as much, but I like the, I'm trying to get like you the hybrid it. type stuff, though. You know, not like the deep south twangy stuff. What's wrong with the deep south? There's nothing wrong with the Deep South. I'm just, just saying your it's not my tea. preference. Okay. Yeah. Good to yeah. see you, man. Good to see you. I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. It has been a little while. How long's it been? The longest like, we've gone in a while. A week? That is a wonder. long time. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is going to be a little bit different format than what we're used to. And what I mean by that is... Is this a round table? No, not a round okay. table. It's just, just a... a Let's just get into it. Uh, a discussion? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we have uh, the one and only Trent Keenan with us. As T- I live and breathe. TK, how are you, man? I am beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. You're Thanks smiling bigger always. than ever. Always, always. What's going on? Not a lot. Just uh, staying busy with uh, work, right? And so we made it past that first quarter, which I think mm. I think some of us were all concerned about with uh, where we were headed, but... That was my goal. Let's make it through the first quarter and get a feel for what the rest of the year might be like. And yeah, um, and what's was, that feel like was, to you, Trent? Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was about average. We're actually we're not too far behind where we were the same time last year, which, on a record-breaking year, I can't complain. And so, right. Um, but I will say, like overall, the the profit margins are way down because everything's way more expensive. Mm. Right? So that's the only uh, we're penny for penny where we were last year, but the the profits are like. Whoo, Interesting. They're down Interesting. a little. They're down a little. So we'll, get, we'll get into that a little bit on yeah, this exactly. discussion. We right? will for sure. And that's we're just. Yeah. Gonna, this is just going to be. Yeah, just going to be a casual conversation about survey yeah. business or just business in general. Um, we, can, we can focus on survey and engineering business. Yeah, because now, Sean, you have a pretty good feel for what it's like to run a survey business. I do actually. I, I have a pretty unique perspective on this. You do having, indeed. Uh, right. I ran several different types of and continue to run several different types of engineering, surveying disciplines on the business side of it. Uh, But I am curious on, uh, before we get into some of the topics uh, from what you think, Trent, on what's the rest of the, so you said you wanted to get through the first quarter. What's the rest of the year forecast for you guys? Is it still, let's take it one quarter at a time or you got a backlog going or how, how does the year look? Yeah, no, I mean, we definitely have a, we have a good backlog going um, from a whip standpoint, but uh, I would say so far, I feel like we're kind of, we're maybe dropped a little bit, but I I did notice from almost November, November through January, we were down almost 20%. And Mm -hmm. then uh, Mm -hmm. January picked up a little bit, um, February, a little iffy, and then March seemed to kind of March was good and steady. And uh, March is always an interesting month because of so much of the spring break, right? So you lose with different parts of the country and different spring break times of the of the year, or I mean of the month. So you, it's really kind of an odd, you're like, oh, this week's really quiet. Or, well, everybody at home is on spring break. Or, you know, then you go to the next week and then maybe the different part of the country is on spring break. And so March is always interesting for me, but it uh, we ended up doing really well. And it was actually not until close to probably maybe March 25th, 26th, when we got like hammered with a bunch of work that kind of that last week. And I think everything started to, everybody kind of got back to the office, but we noticed, um, obviously this is my 15th anniversary. And I noticed a lot of times when 
um, you know, like beginning of June, school got out, things are really dry or um, the last couple of weeks before school goes back in, things mm. get really dry. And so um, it's very based around the school years and people with kids and doing all these different things. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's uh, on average, we're, we're kind of average where we were last year. And so I feel like, again, I'll go through up to June 30th and see how we, how we do, but um, it's feels, it feels good. It doesn't feel great. Obviously it doesn't feel like last year, but it definitely feels, you know, feels good. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'd, t- I'd say the same thing. It yeah. felt like everyone's talking about dips and all this. And it felt like I, we had a dip October through December yeah. and definitely January weather also yeah. factors in. It was a wet, wet winter yeah. in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then man, February, March, and it's just, taken off already so yeah agreed would you say that um those trends that we're talking about are pretty consistent uh historically you know what i mean as far as things slowing down at the end of the year of course uh, and then- this th- this last year was a little slower at the end of the year than it typically is mm-hmm. usually there's a big push you know we think oh a couple holidays it's going to be slow but everyone's trying to cram in everything before yeah. christmas and it's like oh let's get this done before you know our half our workforce leaves and comes back 2 weeks later mm. and and yeah. it, it seemed like it was we didn't get that big push and i think like trent said like mm-hmm. ah everyone's just kind of a little gun shy or a little worried right. and then january it was like hey we're going to actually do this thing and then before we realize it you know march mm-hmm. happens and it's like okay well now Actually, like Trent said, year over yeah. year, just about the same. Right. Things are costing more. Wages, obviously, got to, I mean, wages are up, obviously. Got to pay these these yeah. people more uh, to keep good people. Um, and we'll talk about that, too. But well, what, what, like, when you say they're up, like, if you were to apply a percentage of that, do you think wages are up 15%? Year to year, what do you think it is? Actually, up? I just heard it on the, on the way in, 4.6%. Um, in, from March year over year. Okay. And that's down from like six and a half percent in January and February. Yeah. But on average, somewhere between, you know, four and 8%, I would say. Yeah. What do you think, Trent? Yep. I would agree with that statement. Yeah. I, um, from a wages standpoint, but then of course you get, which we'll get into, but, uh, health insurance for us, right? We're, our renewal is coming up in June 1st and our, our oh. health insurance is going up, I think, uh, 17.3% or something like that. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, so brutal. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's it's pretty brutal. It is yeah. pretty brutal. So those are the costs, obviously, that we're talking about, right? And so, so how do you offset that? Because you can't raise your rates twenty percent. Yeah, you can. Well, you can. You can do whatever is, you oh, want. I understand. I understand. <laughs> and this is this is a great conversation. Yeah. You can definitely raise your rates twenty percent. Yes, you can. Um, but if everybody else isn't raising their rates twenty percent, you are going to put yourself in a position to limit yourself to certain clientele, I suppose. Sure. And you got to get enough of that specific targeted clientele for it to make sense. Well, I think it's not a question of trying to raise your rates 20%. I think it's, it's uh, little by little. Mm-hmm. What's the, uh, what's the saying? Like how do you eat an elephant? Yeah. One, One bite, bite at, at a time, time. you yeah. know, like, and, and I like to do, I've, I've had a lot of success in actually getting some hard numbers mm-hmm. and instead of just saying, well, man, it's, everything's expensive now time. It's here's another 15% rate increase. It's mm-hmm. no one of my best clients, yep. uh, health insurance, for example, went up 17.2%. Mm-hmm. That represents, you know, labor 72% of my cost structure. Fringe benefits are 
30% of that. So do a little math. That is a hard 3.8. I'm making the number up, but that's a hard 3.85% that I have additional cost today that I didn't have yesterday. And I think clients are more understanding of, Mm -hmm. okay, I get it. 5%. Cool. You know, when you put it like that, if it's just, hey, 20.0% across the board seems a little aggressive. And then you're going to, you're you're much more likely to get some competition when that comes in. Some pushback. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the bulk, obviously our business model, and I think most survey businesses is is lump sum, right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not, you're not necessarily increasing your rates in the middle of the year. You're adding an hour here. You're adding an extra two hours here, right, right, to offset some of those costs. So, you know, 99.8% of our work is, is lump sum. And so um, all we're doing at this point is, you know, throw an extra hour in there or whatever to start to offset some of those See if you can get away already, with it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're, I mean, you get a little bit of pushback to some degree, but yep. it's, you know. Well, and let's face it. If it is what it is, yeah. If you're not getting pushback, you're too cheap. Absolutely. Exactly. Who is this guy? Hey, I I must must be rubbing off on you this past year. Taught me well. I never would have expected expected you to say that, but yeah, exactly. Your eyes lit up like uh, Christmas morning. Exactly. It's like, man. Welcome to the table. Finally, welcome to the party. (laughs) Oh, man. So funny. But it's also like, for example, like Trent, you don't do a lot of construction staking, right? No, we're we're down to about seventeen percent. Seventeen percent. Our business model is construction. Yeah. What's yeah, your so. What's your goal? I'm just curious. Um. Yeah. Less Less than twenty. So in between that fifteen and twenty, it's it's a sweet spot because we have we basically we have two crews, two three man crews that that run construction, and we run three man crews on construction. Um, and it's just uh, that's kind of my goal. It's it's a good sweet spot. I mean, you gotta you gotta be able to offer it, even if you don't do. It. I would love to get to zero, but I know I can't. Mm. I mean, that's just never going to happen. We've built too many relationships over the years to be able to go to zero. So is it, you, obviously it's by choice that you don't do a lot of construction staking. I'm assuming because the profit margins aren't what they are on uh, the lump sum work for the most part, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then. You spend more time chasing change orders than. than right. You know, yeah. 100%. And you also live in a, in a state or a city where there are unions and dealing with prevailing wage and all that stuff, which also creates additional challenges. Yeah, we don't do any prevailing wage, um, hardly any Davis Bacon stuff, and then we only have we're down to two union shops left in Las Vegas. So, oh, really? That's it. Um, yeah. Wow. So it's not uh, not as bad, but um, yeah, definitely the prevailing wage obviously comes into play, right? So. Yep, for sure. And you know, one thing I know about you, Trent, is you are definitely the type of person that you know stays up on the latest and greatest technology and that type of thing. What goes into the decision making process when you're going to make one of those large expenditures on technology specifically? Uh, ultimately is how far we're going to fall behind the competition and end of, you know, pretty much in there because, um, I've been, you know, obviously a lot of people know Rob in our office and, uh, watching all his social media posts and stuff like that. And I've always been on him for, for the last couple of years about how far we are behind the, the schedule on some of this, you know, whether it's the drones, the LIDARs, the scanners, that kind of stuff. We had the scare, we had the Pharaoh scanner back what 2011 or something like that so we were doing quite a bit of it and what happened is the business grew so much i was the only one doing it in the field i was the only one processing in the office and so as soon as i spent more time in the office well there goes there goes that uh, knowledge that i could have passed on and uh, so uh, ultimately it's the decisions it's never about money it's about um, how far behind we might fall to the competition and uh, how much more efficient we're going to be with the work getting it done in the field so 
but again, sorry before I cut you off, but before that, right? It's whatever it's a day in the fields now creating four days in the office, right? To, to yeah. process that stuff. And yeah. so that's the flip side. Yeah. And that's the kind of what I was going to go into is how, how far do you go into quantifying, you know, you, you go to the, the trade shows and the, you yeah. see the latest and greatest and all the people we meet are awesome and great and super smart. And they all say the same thing. Uh, exactly opposite of what Trent just said. <laughs> no, not going to increase your office time. We've got it all down. Uh, it's just all wins, win, 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 win. And the, you know, <laughs> those who actually one have to cut the check to buy yeah. the stupid thing and two have to figure out how to use it. Know that there's a, a much more of a learning curve there. So I guess my question for you guys is how much do you actually quantify the benefit of buying that new piece of equipment? And, uh, can you ever get the clients to pay for it? Yeah, I mean, I think you really have to do your homework and not just make a knee-jerk reaction when it comes to purchasing this stuff, just for that exact reason. You know, I do think that most of the advances at this point are more on the software side. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the hardware is advancing, but um, I think for a while there, the hardware advanced faster than the software, and now I think the software is playing catch-up. Oh, sure. And then, like, I... What do you do with a 50 gig file? Like yeah, you just that. can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell, 90% of everybody out there can't even open the stupid thing. Like you yeah. need, really need to know what you're doing. You do. You have to understand the end user and what they're expecting and what kind of deliverable they're actually going to be able to uh, to benefit from. Right. And then at that point, what are you actually saving? And mm -hmm. And especially, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like it's just as hard to find qualified people in the office than crews to go out and collect the data. For sure. So if that's yeah. the case, that's still, it's mm -hmm. still about what, how easily can we process it and get a deliverable out the door. And that's the thing. So two, twofold going backwards, um, creating a relationship with your vendor, right? Your, your Monson's, your Allen instruments, your California drafting, right? But you can have a relationship with your survey supplier to be able to almost do an, an R and D when it comes to that. Right? So, we at our place, we had them. We borrowed the X or the X7. We borrowed the X12. We we troubleshoot both of them. You know how much back and forth. So we spent a week or two with the X12. We spent a week or two with the X7. Played with it. Played with the data. You know, and there's there's a you know fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar difference between those two scanners. And so if one is you know just as good as the other one, and the bulk of the work we're going to do is is with an X7 or something like that, of course we're going to go. You know, and it is having those relationships with your survey suppliers to be able to have those toys to play with and and uh, kind of practice on them. And then, like you say, with the, the office side of things, it's I mean, you just got to work through the data. There's so much data and it's hard. To, it's hard to not just revert back to the old traditional, mm -hmm. you know, uh, total station set up and just start collecting points. Right. Yep. And at some point, you know, you just got to cut it off and say from here forward, we're going to scan this. Right. And mm -hmm. so. Um, mm -hmm. But we're still, I mean, outside of the really like weird parking garages and that kind of stuff, that's where we've been starting to run the scanners on that kind of stuff because it's so much better. The SX-12s worked out really well for that kind of stuff. It's obviously a little bit slower. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's it's interesting. We're, we're at interesting times and, well, I, and I, I love it. And it almost seems like, uh, like you said, you, all right, how long did it take you to figure out that the parking garages are the best place to use this because of these, you know, so it's almost like you got to have it use it for about two years to figure out the best, the best, you know, types of projects and where it really saves you some money. 
And then by then there's a new one to buy. No question. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, well, and we've always, again, we've always, since the day we started, I, I was never going to be that one that just got stuck in that 19 or well, 2008 equipment. Right. And so when we started, um, and so it's always just recycling equipment, um, and keeping up with it. But I, I guess the conversation when, on that would be all of these little smaller mom and pop shops, right. Where they just don't have that, have those resources or have those funds available to, to do that stuff. And so, those that technology is more for mid-sized survey firms almost right and mm. so mid-sized to obviously large survey firms and so those are the conversations that i guess got to be had at the, the the mom and pop survey places to be able to kind of break into that technology what is a mid-sized survey firm right now what do you think trent knows he's got all these uh statistics <laughs> yeah well yeah right yeah we always joke about it but um I mid-size, honestly, I would say mid-size today would probably be, you know, a 15 to 20 person survey firm. Like that's, I mean, that's. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's mid-size? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for what, sure. What are the for statistics, sure. Trent, about the, 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 like the various sizes of uh, yeah. survey firms? It's pretty, Seven, pretty crazy. 7,200 uh, surveying firms, 4,500 have less than five employees, 6,500 of them have less than nine employees. Uh, whoa, whoa, so, whoa, whoa, whoa. Say, say that. You said <laughs> 7,200 survey firms, 6,500 of them have less than nine employees. That's like 90%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's crazy? why I say a mid sized firm, right? Is, I mean, 15 to 20 people. Like, that's a good size. We're, we're 33, 34 staff. And, I mean, you know, mm. it's way up there for a survey firm compared mm. to the basically wow. the, the bureau stats. So I'd be interested when the new ones come out. Um, that, that information was from basically that's the most published data and that's from the 2019 data. So we'll see what Still. happens when, when the next one comes out. But that's yeah. insane. I, it is insane. Yeah, no, it's super insane. What do you think the trend will be like when the next round of statistics come out? Do you think there will be more mid-sized firms because these smaller firms are getting acquired or those folks are retiring? What do you think it's going to look like moving forward? I think it's, I think it's the other way where there's going to be more solo practitioners. I mean, more solo. You, you can watch watch all the Facebook posts, right? Mm-hmm. Starting my own business. I want to go out. Yep. You can watch all of those. And I think it's just going to be um, more and more solo shops. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that number is probably less than five employees is probably going to jump to 5,200, right, wow. is my guess. Uh, just because there's the way the trend is. Everybody mm-hmm. everybody wants to go out on their own, right? It's yep. it's it's fun, especially when you're, when you're a smaller firm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it is enjoyable. As you as you grow, obviously, every one of us on here knows the growing pains <laughs> oh, yeah. of running a running a, a good sized firm. So, yeah. well, I guess that's a good segue into kind of what we're we're really getting into here. And I'm curious, what do you guys think about this concept of uh, the the surveyor that really finally knows what he's doing, and he's like, okay, like you said, Trent, I, I just want to go on my own. One first part is. Why do you think most of the quality guys go on their own other than some of the obvious? And then two, uh, how often and why don't there, do they work out? Yeah. I wonder what the success rate is of somebody, yeah. you know, deciding to go off on their own. How long does that firm typically last? Yeah. That'd be interesting, especially, especially now, right. Where everything is well over the, we've been pretty feast for the last six years. Right. Yeah. And so I was, uh, I was, stupid crazy and started June 1st, 2008, which is the worst economy you could, you know, outside of the great depression pretty much. But, um, and so I was able to, to build what we've been able to build over the years. And so I would say the success rate right now is obviously 
probably pretty good. Pretty good. Um, but, uh, you know, whether we end up into another recession or not. But. And that's just purely on demand, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just purely on demand. Yep. I think yeah. where, as a profession, it could hurt us um, is – a lot of like young, like new, like new surveyors, like somebody who's newly licensed, you know, maybe hasn't been working under a, let's say a business mentor for very long, yeah. <clears throat> decides to go out on their own. There's a hell of a lot more to it than just saying, Hey, I'm going to start a surveying business. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. going to get this equipment and I am going to start providing surveys. You know, surveyors stereotypically are not good business people. To start out with. Oh, I think you could take the stereotypical word out of there and just say that they're just not good business people. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. So I think there's, you know, if that is going to be the trend where, you know, a lot of these surveyors are going to start their own business. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Well, I just, I mean, it kind of goes back to, okay, and I, and I understand how it happens, especially because the nature of the business is usually you're out on your own a lot. So you, and, or you're driving long distances so you got a lot of time to think mm-hmm. you're like oh man and it and I, I can tell you from experience when you're driving two hours back and forth to a job a lot you start to really question <laughs> how you got to this point and what decisions you made yeah. or didn't make along your career to put you in this place yeah so then you're like putting it all together and then man I can do it myself I don't need any of this other things mm-hmm. I got two really good clients. So get me all their work. All I need is a little bit of startup capital and then boom, I'm off and running. So that sounds all really good in principle. Yeah. Why doesn't it work all the time? <laughs> well, those two really good clients, that work's going to dry up at some point. Then what are you going to do? Right. Exactly. And then what happens when you go get five more and then all five of them want your service at the same time? Yeah. And now you're one little shop, then you got to hire three people. And oh, yeah, that's, that's where it snowballs. Right. So one, it's a consistent client with consistent work. Yep. Um, and then the other one is obviously, I don't know if anyone, not anyone, but a lot of people starting a business. And I definitely didn't before getting into, uh, you know, building a new business is understand cash flow. Yeah. I mean, huge cash flow is more important than your rates yep. and more important than your whatever you think your profit margin is. Yeah. Uh, and, and until you're so far in that you don't have to think about it, it is the most important thing. It is. Absolutely. And again, stereotypically, trends aside, surveyors are not good business development folks either. No, or tr- marketers. We're, we're still on the fence on Trent too. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you, no, like Trent, you know, you, you know, it, it's a great story. You started your business, you know, at, at like you said, yeah. you know, Potentially the worst possible time. I think it's the best time. I mean, it well, was the bottom. You had well, that's what I was going to say. Plenty of available staff. You, know, <laughs> you could pick mo- and choose the best guys to work with. Yeah. Well, most people would think it was the worst time, but you could also flip that around, just like you said, Sean, and it was actually yeah. maybe the best time. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. All, as the, all the vendors are begging you to buy something. Everything's cheap. You got plenty of people looking for work, yep. and the only thing you got to find is the revenue or the clients. Right. And right. once that started, everything went up from there. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, Trent, and, and like in your case, um, you know, starting at a really potentially or on, on, on paper crappy time, how were you able to, you know, sustain, build and sustain your business? How were you able to differentiate... Diamondback land surveying from everybody else. It, 
it was uh, obviously just customer service, right? That's that's what I preach pretty much all the time. Anybody who's coming into the business who, who reaches out to me and asks for help, it's always, you gotta be the best in customer service. And that's the friendliness, it's response, responsiveness to emails or phone calls, right? Um, that's gonna set you apart from pretty much anybody else. And, and we've talked about it on this podcast many a times. Like, it's so simple to just pick up the phone and you're gonna end up with work sometimes, right? Because you're the only person out of 15 that they called. And so, um, but you know, back in 2008, I, uh, somebody reached out to me recently asking me just kind of some information on how I, the numbers and how I grew after like year one and year two and year three. And so I, uh, I had put some stuff together for, uh, for that guy who reached out to me. And it was interesting when I went back through it. I mean, we were like 90% construction when I first started. Um, and so at that point it was, it was early, it was construction, it was public work stuff that was getting done. It was the schools, it was, you know, libraries, that kind of stuff that was all getting built. And then, um, it was just, you know, building that relationship with kind of the GCs that would kind of roll into engineers or having those relationships with the engineers as you maybe ask them questions um, as it pertained to their plans and you start to build that relationship. But um, as we went through, yeah, we were like 90% construction and then it dropped to like 80 and then 70 after maybe like year three or whatever. And as we started to build up that clientele on the, on the engineering side and all of our civil engineer clients and partners and that kind of stuff is when we were really kind of able to start maybe taking less construction and then getting more into the boundary topos, then it's, I mean, then you roll into the altas through, you know, just word of mouth. I mean, that's the only way, that's the only way outside of M&A, right? Mergers and acquisitions and buying other firms. The only way you're going to grow is word of mouth in, in our profession. And so um, hmm. it's, it's being the best that you can be every single day. And that's responsiveness to emails and phone calls. Um, we'll set you apart from anybody else on down. So it's interesting, and maybe this is a common theme um, for new businesses, but you built your business on commodity-based services, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You mean staking? Uh, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then you grew into less commodity-based services to more... Um, professional answer Professional, or... yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And that's, you know, and that's, and that's just through kind of the nature of the bees one, because of the time frame again, right. That was really the stuff that was only in the works was a lot of the construction stuff or that public works infrastructure type stuff that mm-hmm. was getting built. And so there really wasn't, you know, civil engineers asking for boundary topos on a two and a half acre parcel for a gas station. Right. And so some of that stuff was just not, wasn't, you know, that was kind of already being fed to the guys that were already doing the work. And so mm-hmm. you really had to break through. Um, and then a lot of it um, for me as well was uh, just marketing. For me, you know, I, I put together, I put together at one point like a seventy-page magazine that I spent thousands of dollars on that I put together myself, and then had them printed, wow. and then I mailed them to civil engineers, <laughs> and uh, just so it ended up on their desk. I mean, the different times from a marketing standpoint, which is hard to say. Fifteen years ago, um, wow, it's only been fifteen years ago, right? But <laughs> doing like a mass marketing of getting things on people's desks, but it was, it was a good tangible, thick portfolio of what we had kind of done in those maybe first three years or whatever. So, um, being able to get that, I mean, that's a whole nother topic we could do is like advertising and marketing today, you know, moving forward. It's so, uh, yeah. so interesting now, as opposed to what it was 15 years ago. So. Well, let, let's talk about that just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, curious. what, what are you finding that's, you know, what, what's different today from your marketing perspective than it might've been, 
even five years ago, 10 years ago, like what works, what doesn't work today? What doesn't work today would be cold calls, right? Leaving voicemails, that kind of stuff. They'll never get returned. Um, and you can, you can talk to pretty much any sales guy when it comes to that, but, um, our marketing is all visual based. And so it's the billboards or the sporting events and, um, that kind of stuff where it's in the program ads as you're walking in, all of our stuff has to do with live sporting events, uh, the TV commercials where you're watching live sporting events. Um, all of the, all of those kind of tangible visual type things that, uh, kind of stick into your mind with little taglines or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or of course the other side would be just social media, whether it's, you know, purchasing, uh, boosting your ads or something like that on the social media side. Right. Those are the differences. Um, and then, then you can't, you know, I'd still say 80% of, mar- of marketing is, is word of mouth and uh, 20% is kind of tangible visual type stuff. Yep. That's what and that word of mouth, you know, type of marketing is kind of a slippery slope because, you know, as we all know, it's like your reputation is everything. Oh, yeah. And you could do a thousand great surveys and then one bad survey. And unfortunately, that one bad survey. Well, is, and what I've learned, it's not even you doing a bad survey. It's something happened. Well, yeah, and, exactly. And and you got tagged on a project that had issues. Rightfully or not. And, you know, most of the clients don't know the details. Yep. You know, you know, you can use the, the sausage factory analogy. Like, mm-hmm. all they know is the sausage was bad. They don't know how it was made, and they definitely don't know it was this you know, say that that pig had a bad toenail or something, you know, there's the one thing that made it bad wasn't all of it. It was just 1% and you didn't have any control of that. Yeah. But, yeah. but still the, the, the bad taste is still there and you can't get rid of it. Speaking of toenails, you definitely don't want to make sausage out of me. Mm. <laughs> bad toenails. You got, the, you got those yellow fungi little ones. No. Oh, don't you? I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. It seems like you maybe have a terrible toenail I'm kidding, guy. I'm kidding. And going back to that, right? You can mitigate some of that stuff by just the way you respond mm, sometimes, mm. right? And it's it's not a knee jerk reaction. Maybe right. maybe you want to type an email and you want to blast somebody, right? But the last thing you want to do is send it. So it's like don't hit reword send. it, reword it, don't, uh, read don't it push three that. or four times, yep. right? And so it's all in how you respond to an issue is is how you're gonna end up with, you know, egg on your face or not egg yeah. on your face. And so it's a that's the living lesson there, right? Type it so that you get the frustrations out and then yep. delete it. Yeah, and then and delete then it. Start yeah. 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 Well, Kent, Kent knows this well. Like, I'm a yeah. big proponent of, you know, you got your phone, like, there's all the tappy stuff, but you can, there's a talky part too. And you can use the talky part <laughs> and actually the and the speak to someone on a human yeah. level. Of, yeah. And obviously, yeah. email is critical. It's how we do business, it's how we document everything. Everything's followed up with an email. But the, but the tone, what, what is gain? You can't infer tone in an email. Yep. Yep. And especially when in a mass email with several different people, like yeah. uh, the best thing is a phone call. Hey, this is what's going on. You're going to see an email. I'm sending it out just so everyone knows, but here's where we're at. Here's where I'm at. And that's, it, it's becoming more and more rare, which yeah. means it's more and more useful. And, um, I think that it has more effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And okay. I always feel better after that phone call. Even when sure. I, we screwed up, even when you screw up and I have to call the guy and tell him, hey, he actually didn't screw up. Here's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Always feel better. And 
uh, turning it into a marketing tool, a good portion of the time, it's usually, hey, okay, that's great. Can you also do this? Yeah. And sometimes I'm even shocked. I'm like, I just told you how <laughs> we screwed up really bad. Yeah. And now it's, are you yeah. sure you want me to do more? Sure, I'll do it. But it's yeah. just because you're actually talking to the person. For sure. For sure. And it goes along with what Trent said. You know, it's like how you react to, yeah. you know, ac- ac- accusations, let's say. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you are wrong, just say, hey, I, hey. I messed up. And I messed up, but here's what I'm going to do to fix it. And I'm, I'm sure Trent can attest to this is when you, you kind of get at this level, you spend more time talking about all the things that you screwed up than the things you actually did well. Yeah. And that damage yeah. control is a, the biggest part of our job. And actually damage control is one of the biggest things that I do to market our services. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. We did screw up. Here's what we're going to do about it. You know, yep. Yes, it was. Here's all the things that we've mm-hmm. done to improve. And it usually turns into more work, not less work. Sure. And sometimes you're just not going to get it back. Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. the bad taste in his mouth. He's never eaten sausage again. And I get it. Uh, but I can tell you that percentage is so little, you can't even worry about yeah. it. 100%. I've uh, I've been in trouble on the phone before because I had a superintendent call and, and basically super irate and pissed because, you know, we, we had messed something up. And I kind of chuckled on the phone. He's like, what are you effing laughing at? I'm like, relax like can you just take a breath like nobody's nobody's died we'll figure this out yes. but give it a second and just, right. just take a breath for a second <laughs> oh and yeah i was like what are you effing laughing at I'm like hold on a second just relax we'll figure it out but <laughs> so yeah. yeah i've had those phone calls before too like and i've gotten in trouble because I, I have the kind of that chuckle right i'm always even even when you know even when shit goes wrong on job sites and stuff like that it's still it's yep. not life or death, right? It's just yep. we'll figure it out, we'll and move on. So yep. nobody's gonna die. Yeah, exactly. I love that one. I love that one. Well, it's just because I guess the the superintendents and all the the you know people we're talking to are not used to someone accepting responsibility and pl- mm-hmm. with a plan to do something about that's it. That's true. And that's mm-hmm. what you have to make clear is, no, we're going to get this right no matter what. And we can take the tone down, but I'm guessing that they've just heard, oh, not my problem, click. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then they lose yeah. their minds. And that's not, I mean, that's not what good customer service is. And that's not what successful firms do. Yep. Yep. And that goes back to the way we respond, right? And that's how you, the knee-jerk reaction and how you respond. And that's, yeah. that's how you can save your, save your butt sometimes. So. so what other, all right, I'm sure with the 15-year anniversary, Trent, you've been going through the, going down the nostalgia train. Right. Uh, what else kind of, as you've gone through this, have you picked up as lessons learned? I'm, you know, like you said, you, people have been asking, uh, you know, what, you know, how did you get to this point? You know, what are all the, so in all those thoughts and, and rehashings of, of how you got to this point, what, uh, what do you want to get out there as far as the, the things to do and to focus on and the things not to do and not to focus on? Yeah. Um, I guess the biggest, you know, if we if we go down the path of, you know, hey, I want to start my own business, and, and I've had those emails, and I respond to those, um, is one, you know, you don't, uh, we leveraged, I and my wife leveraged everything we had. We took card, credit card advances. You do whatever you can to to kind of get through, right? I, I we started June first. I didn't get our first paycheck until February of the following year, right? And so you're like eight months, eight wow. months deep into it. Right? In case anyone's so, curious, the cash flow model on that. Yeah. 
does not look yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you're, you're eight plus months without a paycheck, right? So you need to save, save as much as you can. I, uh, I do jokingly that when I, that nostalgia part is when I first got it, it was, um, an S seven or an S six as a total station, uh, like an R or a 5,800 TSC three. Um, I did go purchase two new vehicles before I quit my job just because I needed that, you know, to look like I still had a job. So I needed that mm. to go and get the vehicle. So I went and got new vehicles so I could get through that. But I remember like all of our expenses and my equipment and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I only got to do like 4,500 a month, right? I can, I can do that. That should be no problem at all. <laughs> now, of course, you know, here we are 15 years later. Now it's about 550,000 a month and you're like, oh. <laughs> um, but so, um, making sure you save, obviously making sure you have a lot of money to at least get through. It's no joke when, I mean, six plus months and depends on, I guess it depends on your business model too. Like if somebody's just going out and doing, doing, maybe doing some lot surveys or maybe doing some engineering topos type stuff, maybe it's not six months, maybe it's still three months, probably. I mean, you're at least three to four months, even from an engineer or architect. Three right? is bare minimum. Even, yeah. Even Absolutely. in your garage by yourself, mm. three yeah. minimum. Yep. Yeah, the pay when paid thing is a, it's a serious thing. So um, save money. Uh, don't borrow money because you're going to work your ass off because, you know, like in my instance, right, I, I loaded up with credit card debts and all the other things I could do. There was no way I could let that fail. And then, yep. you know, so you're working your, you're working your butt off to repay that stuff. Um, and then, um, you know, just it's a shotgun effect when it comes to uh, marketing or figure out that niche that you want. But there's there's decent cash flow in construction even as much as we all hate it but the the monthly cash flow is there and then you while you're doing that I mean, at least that's you're working and you're doing some stuff then you roll into those bnts and alta type of clientele from there forward but then of course you know we could go down a whole nother path and that's the the drone or the scanners depending on your business model right like how how advanced you want to to get into some of that technology so yeah so when again going back on the technology and making those yeah. um purchases like when do you know whether it's a best to purchase or lease does it matter yeah. on like what kind of uh assets you have available to you how do you make that decision uh our decisions was tax-based decision so it would be the ultimate you know basically uh section 179 and we write off and depreciate basically as soon as we buy it right Whereas a lease, if you're leasing something, you're only writing off that lease payment every month. You don't get the full depreciation. So that those two type of questions would be more so your tax guy or tax advisor and that kind of stuff on on those questions. But we we take the full depreciation 179 as soon as we buy it uh, the next tax year. So all of our stuff is purchases um, and not leases. And that's all the way down to our vehicles because um, just to have that depreciation. Although I just did my taxes and things are getting a little weird now even with uh depreciation mm. stuff so um as a lot of our trucks i'll you know we buy them and then flip them kind of every three or four years or whatever like that so if we wrote off all the depreciation on year one and we sold it last year now i'm paying income mm. on that depreciation differences so depreciation uh, tax laws are changing by the by the day right and so uh it's it's good. We've talked about it a lot of times on here. It's good having a very good accountant that can keep up with you. Mm -hmm. I talk to mine. You know, we talk to ours all the time, and and I'm I'm above average when it comes to businesses and understanding that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm able to help him out with a lot of things. But having that uh, tax guy is just as important as you know a good uh, mm. a good uh, 
survey equipment. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Like, what are those key relationships you need, like when starting a business or running a business? You know, you mentioned a good yeah. tax guy. What are a couple other relationships that are key? Um, your benefits package. So when mm-hmm. you're working with, you know, we have we have one where it's uh, pretty much a one source when the, it's all of our benefits, our health, our dental, our vision. Um, we have a separate one for a 401k, but um, having those that you can have those benefit packages with. And as a smaller firm, something like that, you want to you want to get involved with like ACG or something like that, where you can get in with a group um, policy because you've, you're a member of AGC or some of these other associations, um, because then you're going to get cheaper rates as as um, as a group rate being in some of these other associations. So, you know, what might cost you $800 a year to be the ACG member or something, you're going to save on the back end because you're now part of a good plan. So, um, but definitely, uh, definitely a tax guy. If, uh, if you're not super business savvy when it comes to some of that, or you don't understand some of the laws, that's the most important. Um, and then uh, the benefit package is just as important because if you're going to grow your business, you want to be able to retain employees. Right. And so that's the benefit package is It's a, it's kind of the hidden ghost sometimes when it comes to employees, right? That, that benefit package, but it's a necessary evil because it's, you know, the wives or the spouses that are worried more about the benefit package than sometimes the employee. Right. And so uh, having that package as well, um, those are the two, the most important um, you can, you know, a good attorney that you can just rely on or a friendship that you can send. Well, you that's know, what I was going to say. You, yeah. You need a good attorney, uh, yeah. whether it's contracts or uh, you need, especially an attorney, even if it's somebody that's just referred to refer a friend, mm. but how you set yep. up the entity is yep. critical. Like you just mm. don't go and start Kent Grove surveying out of, out of your home. Too late. I know. I know. Yeah. The, and that's where it, 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 as much as you can plan ahead of what your kind of vision is and mm. what it's going to look like and, you want to shield your, you know, yourself from liability as much as possible. I mean, you know, like Trent said, he's got to put put up some stuff and really leverage everything he's got for the business. But that doesn't mean that if it fails, it's, you know, there's LLCs and a lot of smart things that you can do by creating entities mm-hmm. and holding companies that, yep. that can protect yourself and uh, set yourself up for success. Because mm-hmm. if you do snowball and it does go crazy, you may... I wish you could have started, you know, gone back and talked to somebody smarter at the beginning. Sure. So the yeah, last, definitely the last attorneys. On that, yep. The last attorney attorneys. And then the last piece to that would be uh, a really good in relationship with an insurance agent because, Oh yes. Uh, you know, uh, one, two, when it even comes to like, they gotta be super organized and, and because you're always sending certificate of insurance requests to, to your carrier. Right. And so, They've got to be responsive. Sometimes it's holding up payment, and so if you got a if you got an agent that's hold takes and takes you three or four days to get a you know a certificate of insurance to get a payment, you know there's another piece of backlog, right? And so it's having that relationship. I've I've been fortunate. My I'm with State Farm, and I've been with them prior to even starting my business. But uh, I rolled in with them. I've been with State Farm since 1997. So um, we've had, and it's been pretty much my same. Uh, it's been has been my same agent since 97 and so oh, well. you know have that you have that great relationship with an insurance agent and so you know you're getting hit all the time with um people trying to get you to swap uh even uh, down to my cell phone stuff i'm like you know i just i don't change we're about relationships and not about you know dollars and cents sometimes so yep so all these things you know these keys to success that we just uh 
talked about, you know, and I'm sure over the course of your 15 years, you didn't know this. You didn't know all this stuff when you first started out, just like a lot of people don't know these things when they're starting out. And on that same note, I'm assuming it was, you were more willing to take on work back then that maybe you wouldn't take on now just because of maybe the risk or the liability or whatever. How do you determine now what type of projects are, are, are good for Diamondback land surveying? A lot of it um, now, just through the years, I mean, it's definitely been uh, going through. <laughs> it's come because a book of, so we do 20%, less than 20% construction. We do about 20% in Altas. We do about 20% in boundary topo engineering design. Um, and it's probably closer to 35%, I would say, boundary topo engineering design. And then um, the rest is kind of just mapping or land development type stuff. Um, but definitely now it's, it's payment history on a prior client sometimes. Mm. Um, Interesting. That's how you, unfortunately, you, we do at some point, we have to fire clients throughout your business. If, if you're a good business person, you're going to review some of that stuff or have those relationships with the clients. But uh, it's um, now, I mean, thankfully, because of the size that we've gotten and all the insurance policies that we have in place, I, there's not too much that we get to turn down, thankfully, to turn down anymore. But um, in the beginning, I mean, it, we just weren't as heavy on the insurance as we do now. But sure. I don't I don't even know back then. I don't think I really probably turned anything down because I'm always like, you know, we'll figure it out type of thing. So that's always my that's always my MO, right? right so right. we'll figure it out. And so uh, I can't really say that I've turned down too much stuff other than more so just the clients that, you know, are bad, bad paying clients or just frustrating. Yeah. You spend more time um, with a client because you can't either collecting money or, or their changes on their back end. So, yeah. Um, you said this before and I have an answer to this, but I'm curious, uh, Kent, you said it before of, uh, that was a bad client or this is one of the worst clients we've had. What yeah. is, what makes a bad client? And I'll t- I'm going to take the not paying you off of the equation of <laughs> like, yeah. obviously if they don't pay you, you can't work with them. Yeah. But let's say that they will pay you. But what are the, what are some of the other reasons why you wouldn't take a project or what makes a bad client? Well, um, I, for me, I, I, gosh, I mean, I think there's a number of different things. Um, first of all, I think you have to look at the client's reputation and you know, what they're doing, like what, kind of Mm. services they provide and make sure that their reputation is solid. Um, But, you know, just some clients are so much more needy than others and just Mm. drain your time, you know, and just question after question after question. And then they start pushing a little further. Well, now can you, can you just write this legal description for me? Or can you just do this? Can you just do that? And they put you in a really tough spot because you don't want to say no, but at the same time, you kind of have to stand your ground. You know, we're not in business to lose money. Oh, sure. And some clients put you in position to lose money more than others. So how do you balance that with good customer service? Uh, Trent. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the ultimate question, right? Yeah. I want to do, because you guys are both people pleasers. Uh, you want to do the best job pos- possible yeah. up to a point. And I think that's what could be really valuable for anyone listening is sure. some examples of maybe not too specific, but where is that point? Where does it go from? I'm doing a really good job above and beyond my competition to this is now a liability for me. And I 
I, I'm I already lost money and now I'm going to lose more. Or where is that? Where is that line? I think great. I think that's a great question. And my answer yeah. to that would be it's like right off the right on out of the gate. You have to set the expectations right out of the gate. And as soon mm. as that client starts to become a little high maintenance, I think you have like, hey, listen, we want to help you with this, but we're in business just like you are. And in order for us to do that, it's going to take this, you know, which whether it be a change order or what have you. Um, but again, unfortunately, a big part of our job is educating the client. There you and, go. And I mean, I love educating the client, but there are some clients that as much as, much as you educate them, it's like you, whatever you're saying is going in one ear and out the other. And they just well, of course. become, you know, a, a bad client. Oh, yeah. Because I, I think that, uh, like you said, you can. A lot of our job is to educate our clients, sure. and I just don't think all of them want to be educated. Sure. Some want mm -hmm. to learn more so they can, you know, be a better client yep. and get more out of whoever's providing them services, and others yeah. see it as, no, oh, that's your job. Uh, just give me what I need, yep. and you should have thought all this when you gave me your price, and well, that's it. 100%. And they don't want to learn anything. They don't care why. It's your problem. and That's the bad client. 100% though, the, the ones that are open to hearing your perspective and, you know, your education for that matter, those are the good clients. The ones that come back and say, hey, well, so-and-so would do this for me. Yeah. Those are the bad clients. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've gotten those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes as business, you know, as business owners, whatever, wherever you are at, at whatever level is serving business, you get caught in that, I just need one more thing. And so mm -hmm. you do the one more thing because you want to collect on the last $2,500 or whatever mm -hmm. that you did. Right. And so yeah. you end up in this, you end up in a little bit of a rabbit hole of like, okay, I'll do this so that I don't get screwed out of, uh, out of the, all the back stuff. Right. And sometimes you, so you get into that, you get into that mix sometimes. Or, or it's the guy, or it's the guy that hole. always has another big project coming. Oh yeah. The carrots. Oh, the, best. The, the carrots. I mean, I, I, I'm yeah. a victim. It, it was Easter yesterday. I get <laughs> yeah. it. The carrots, yeah. yeah, chase after them, but man, like, how long do you string yourself on just yeah. to, and, and then, yeah. you know, it, how big of a job is that? Sure. And are you really leveraging future, and, the, and a lot of people are going to say that's something you never do. You never leverage mm -hmm. future profit for exactly. current cost and current mm -hmm. extras. Like, never, never do that, because then it's, like Trent said, you, you yeah. just get into a rabbit hole, no yeah. pun intended, yeah, carrots, exactly. but uh, where yeah. you just, you're just always chasing, and, and then you get to the point where you have to take that next job in order to make up for what you've already spent on the last one. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's exactly. a good business model. I, I, I'm yeah, pretty no. confident that uh, that is not a good business model. Uh, the other part that I would say is, as far as a client is, if, if they have if they have a bad contract or if they use a standard contract and don't have any means to negotiate mm. or change terms, it, it, that's a, usually a red flag that they're probably not organized enough to handle issues yeah, and they're going to blame you the first chance that they have. Yep. And if they, if, if all they say is, oh, here's the standard contract and we can't do anything with that, yeah. that's probably, you need to be very careful in that scenario because mm. it means more than, that means that they don't even really know what you're doing and some of the contractual issues that might come up. So, 100%. And that, that goes down to a whole other path because some states don't require written contracts to even do work, right? And so there's, mm. there's, the, there's the whole, you know, why there's important reasons to have contracts in place no matter... And whether your state requires it or not. And so, uh, uh, so let's go back to the first rules of starting a survey business is yeah. <laughs> have a written contract 
in some form or fashion that spells out yeah. the terms and conditions for everything. Yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah. Like we talk about 100%. it. We had a, we had Mr. Healy on a couple weeks ago talking about liability and all that goes mm-hmm. out of the window if you don't have a written contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. And, and I think people might feel like it's intimidating or they don't want to formalize issue. You know, they want to be the guy that, Oh, let me just help you out. And, uh, uh, and a lot of times people don't understand like the insurance that, I, that, that comes with only comes with a contract. Mm. Like you don't get the benefit of me screwing up and, and my insurance bailing you out if I don't have a contract and a contract that, that which terms right. my insurance can support. Because my insurance company will tell me I signed a bad contract and good luck to you. And then you only really get, you know, what I got in my bank account. And unfortunately, that's probably not going to cover mm. the uh, the damage that may have been done by a mistake. Right. <laughs> totally agree. Sean, you sound really smart today. I, this, this conversation it's almost is, like this I, conversation's <laughs> in your wheelhouse. It's almost like this conversation is in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Who's that, Trent? Camaro's yelling at one of the one of the guys walking in the office. Oh, and the other thing, every uh, survey company should have an office uh, German Shepherd. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's really good when sales guys come in the office too. It helps protect that. You don't have to have that uh, no soliciting sign. You just have a dog there. It's <laughs> uh, funny. So let's talk about what I'm assuming is your most valuable asset and that is you know your employees the human capital side of this and you trent probably well definitely as much if do as much if not more than anybody to promote the the survey profession um are you seeing any headway being made um by all these efforts you know whether it be you or you know elaine ball and what she's got going on and just there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things are you starting to see any change yeah it's definitely baby 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 steps i mean even when we talk you know even at our own conferences i like i went to five different conferences this uh this springtime and just was preaching the workforce development and outreach type things right and and i went pretty much on my own dime. I went on my own dime to these state associations just to help spread the word. And so when you get into even our own state associations and when you ask about, do you listen to podcasts and there's three hands that go up? Do you know about Get Kids in the Survey and there's you know one or two hands that go up, right? Mm. Uh, or the Mentoring Mondays or the Wisdoms, that kind of stuff. When you're asking all of these questions just at our own people, at our own conferences, um, that stuff's just not even trickling down. And so I think it's it's going to take. I keep talking about it. It's a, it's a ten year plan. Like my mm-hmm. when we talk about workforce development or other that kind of stuff, outreach. I mean, we've got such a long long road ahead that um, it's you know. And and I, we've talked about it before. Like it's it's the gains are three, four, five people in a region, right? That's a that's a huge gain um, when <laughs> wow. it comes to I think coming to bringing an awareness to stuff because one we don't. I mean. Yes, we need lots of people, but lots of people for our profession is 25, 30, 40,000 people over the next, you know, 10 years or whatever like that. So last thing we want to do is go, you know, flood the market with 50,000 people in the next five years, right? Like, I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to kind of grow, grow the profession organically and, and bring people's awareness to it, but it's going to take a long time, but it is getting better. I definitely, 
and you see a lot more on social media and stuff like that. But yeah. when you go when you go to these outreach efforts, um, you do realize how far we are behind. Because um, my presentations always start like, how many of you know what an architect is, right? And they all raise their hand. How many of you know what an engineer is? And they all raise their hand. And of course, you get to the surveyors, and you know there might be one in the room. And so um, that's how I know we still have a long ways to go because there's just um, there's not enough awareness when it comes to that stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, and then, okay. So this might be a yeah. little too far on the other side, but how far do you go? Is there something, is there a saturated survey market? Has there ever been something like that? Do you yeah. have you ever thought about like, you know, I know it's never going to happen, but let's yeah. say that you just do so much outreach. There's too many. Isn't that a bad thing or is that a bad right. thing? I don't think so. I don't think it'll think it ever happen. But well, one, yeah, thing, exactly. one thing that we're going to talk about a little bit is competition. And yeah. like you said, it's been a feast and yeah. it's all purely based on demand. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't think we, we're going to see on the other side of that anytime soon. Sure. But what, do, what does that look like? Is that Should that be a concern for anybody? And then it goes back, you could roll all the way back to defining surveying versus all of the stuff that we're doing with the BIMs and the drones, right? Yeah. Like it goes back to that conversation of mm. what is the traditional surveyor versus what is drones with LIDARs and scanners doing interior BIM work, right? And so, I mean, you could go down, we could go down that rabbit hole, but uh, yeah, no, I, I don't feel like there is going to be a saturated market, but I just, I think everybody's concerned when they don't feel like it's working because there's, you know, maybe on a, on a, um, a viral post, there's, you know, 150 likes or something, right? Like that's, that is a quote unquote viral post sure. if you realize it in, in the grand scheme of like a profession size. And so it's, it's understanding like those are good numbers because we are such a small, mm. we're such a small niche market. So yep. it's yep. just putting those, uh, those expectations in, in content of like, that's a, that's a big game. So. Yep. And due to the fact that, and I am, we use this quote probably once every six episodes, maybe more. Are we in a geospatial moment? We're in a geospatial <laughs> moment, buddy. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it was coming. Keith knows <laughs> back. Got to give Keith credit for I that I mean, one. absolutely, absolutely. So surveying is just really a small part of geospatial. You know, there's so many different directions that folks can go these days. Well, and I guess I, I, I understand that definitely the traditional surveyor is a, you know, just they don't make them anymore and they're not reproducing at the rate that they're that they're falling off but what about everything else is mm -hmm. is gis and and bim model you know is all those professions equally mm -hmm. in demand for people i think so absolutely is that what you're seeing trent too yeah yeah i would definitely say that's part of the i mean you know in i guess the gis thing right would be I'd be interested to know like the demographics of say the GIS profession, right? Because it's such a new last 25, 30 year profession. Right. And so who, who was it that got in then, mm -hmm. um, you know, say 30 years ago, what was the age or the demographics of them? Are, are we at a situation where we're aging out and it's, you know, we've always kind of talked about it um, with the, even like the survey numbers, right? Like 44% over the age of 61. Well, if you look at the data, most of them didn't get licensed till they're almost 40. And so it's not, um, <laughs> there's, you know, there's, you're, you're a licensed surveyor for 25 years. And so yeah. of course it's, you're getting licensed right. later in life. Yeah. And so there's the, always that everybody's going to be always aging out. Right. And so that's, a, that's another part of the data that we don't really look at. Well, the other question I would have is, 
are if you're a traditional, you know, traditional survey shop like like Trent, for example, I'd consider yeah. him traditional. Is mm-hmm. he stealing talent from the non-traditional arm of of geospatial? Is he is his talent pool strictly GIS professionals? Right. No, because no. I I yeah, okay. I was gonna so, say I have I have yeah. nine under twenty five, so I'm growing them within. So. Yeah, so I mean, I guess that really goes to the meat of my question. Where is that talent pool, and who are you pulling people? You got to be pulling them from somewhere. If you're not in, like, in Trent, you've done a phenomenal job. The only person I know that's actually in the high school is talking to guidance counselors. But if you're not catching them before they hit Algebra 2, you got to be pulling them from some other career path, construction, or, or what is it? You're stealing them from other companies. (laughs) <laughs> yes, <laughs> what you're doing. Well, you're, exactly. That's kind of that's, that's kind of my point. We're that that that's a stagnant more. That's a stagnant I mean, really, model. And if you can offer somebody a better quality of life and a career path and all the things that people want to have when they're in, you know, when they care about what they do, and they don't currently have it, unfortunately, that person's probably going to leave. Yeah, but they're going to go to another surveyor. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the question is the, you know, you got this finite group of people that understand and know this business and those that are retiring are not being, that number is not being met by those who are getting into the business. So obviously you have to go from outside of that pool, whether they go into some, you know, if you consider it all geospatial and Mm -hmm. geo, you know, geo global, that's still the same bucket of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like Trent said, you know, he develops from within, you know, he hires these people that have zero survey experience and has a way of, uh, you know, getting them to buy in and love surveying and want to make it a career. And if, if you can pull that off, I mean, you can set yourself up for success. Well, in the few minutes we have, I'd like to get, dig a little bit into the how that you just said. Yeah. How, you know, you said somehow Trent's doing it and Mm -hmm. Trent is a phenomenal person, genuine, all these things, but I'm pretty sure it's not his personality that's, that's moving the needle there. He's a pretty good golfer too. (laughs) Not so much much lately. I haven't been playing that much. Um, No, so the how, right? The how, the how starts with finding the right personality. Um, The how starts with paying them a good wage that keeps them engaged. The how is offering them the, basically the career advancements, right? It's going to take years. And and we have those conversations that it's going to take a while. Um, And then it's offering them like, um, we had the conference in Las Vegas last year. I think we had like nine, nine or 10 of us at the actual conference. And that's getting them out there and and networking with people. And that's always been the misnomer as well is like, Oh, don't send them to a conference because somebody's going to steal them, right? Well, yeah. again, it goes back to the Soviet leadership style, being good, being energetic. Um, we've talked about it at a few different conferences this spring as well. Like the culture of the culture of a state association or the culture of a business is 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 how outreach is driven. If if your association has no outreach per passion. Uh, I went to one of those and I won't, I won't say, but they had, it was four hour presentation of just like pulling my teeth out because there was like 14 people in the room and none of them did anything about uh, outreach. And so it starts with the culture 
Uh, it starts with the business leader. It starts with the business leader hiring uh, young young guys that want, like you said, give them a chance and give them a chance to have a good career. And then, you know, the flip side to that too is where we've been having a lot of conversations is going after other professions or like, you know, going after the military guys that are starting to transition. Those are ones that we want to start looking into um, as well and finding those um, guys coming out of the military as a transition as well, because it's a good, solid working work ethic, um, you know, mature adult um, situation where they can be maybe grow into the profession a lot faster is some of the avenues that we're working with as well. Um, one of my neighbors is actually on like the USO board. He's a big, uh, hmm. big military, he's big military recruitment for um, uh, casino that uh, his grandfather, they all started the Boyd gaming here. And so he's, he's the military recruitment guy. So he's going to, I'm having those conversations with him on how we can have those relationships with those transition counselors and that kind of stuff for guys coming out of the military. But it all starts with the culture for sure, Sean. And then it mm. starts with paying them uh, a decent wage that they feel like, you know, they feel like they want to get out of bed for right. Um, something different than um, the same, you know, we start, we start all of ours off at 22 to 25 just depends on, you know, kind of the person, but it's um, and so you're, you got to pay above, above industry standard type wages to, to be able to attract, to attract talent. And then of course, benefit packages and 401ks and, you know, the whole kit and caboodle that all comes into it, comes into a profession, right? Yeah. Hell I got to, I got to compete with Chick-fil-A. But that's yeah, true. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. <laughs> 18, 19 bucks an hour benefits, yep. 401k pay for college, all those things. Yep. I mean, hell, yep. what would yep. you do? <sighs> and they, and they had to compete with in and out burgers because they were the first to be way up there. So yeah. And Sunday's off. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> absolutely. But that's how it starts with, and I've had this conversation many times. It starts with us as business leaders, business owners, or, you know, uh, basically business, you know, hiring type people that can, that can hire those people and, and create that culture within the company. Well, it's funny. Cause that, that exactly what Trent said just brings us right back to where we started <laughs> with, okay, I realize I have to do that. I need to pay people a, a higher wage. Got to pay them 10% more. Now I got to hand my client a 20% price increase yeah. and mm -hmm. still run a business. And, right. Or if it's in like, like Trent does mainly fixed fee type contracts, maybe lump sum. So those need to have, you know, five, ten percent more on the labor cost to sure. it, and to be able to justify that and um, still continue to have a you know a, a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. Hundred percent. Vicious circle. Vicious circle. Yeah. But it's 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 rewarding, right? It's worth it, and it's rewarding. Uh, it, you you go with the growing pains, and we we have lots and lots of growing pains with with our all of ours under age and twenty five right now. It's just. You know, I, I've talked about it a few times, but the IMU and a GPS rod, right? They understand, oh, I can just take a shot with an angle to my rod, right? Well, that doesn't translate to a standard uh, total station rod. And they still take the shot the same way. And you start to realize why all of our topos are kind of <laughs> skews and weird angles, right? So That's there's, funny. there's those learning curves that you deal with uh, with inexperienced people. But it, you just have to do it. Somebody has to bite the bullet and do it at some point. And so... Yeah, yeah, and it's going to take everybody. It's not going to take absolutely just Trent or just so and so or just so and so doing yeah. this. I mean, it's something that everybody needs to buy into, mm -hmm. or the majority. Not everybody. You're not going to get everybody to buy into it, no. but the majority. You know, and there are so many good resources out there. Like I have always been a, a huge proponent of like the CST exam. You know, if you can gear something towards 
that program. Like the program's already set. You know, you know what you should know after a year, year and a half, two years to take the CST one. You know, so kind of gear things towards that. And then the CST two and CST three. And at that point, that person's probably on the path to becoming licensed. So why reinvent the wheel? It's out there. You know? Yeah, exactly. Just use we, it. We and it, and if more people had it, it would be more recognized. Yep. So absolutely, no question. Yeah. Uh, before yeah, we wrap 20, this up, I want to ask. 20, go ahead, Trent. Twenty five hundred. Sorry, there's about twenty five hundred CSTs in the country right now. But yeah, it is a great uh, benchmark to, for especially for young hires. I mean, and that's yeah. I, I preach it during every one of our meetings. It's like self improvement. You go, you go get a part one hundred seven. You go get your CST one, CST mm. two. There's a monetary value behind it. Oh yeah. And, of course, and it's creating and it's creating a better a better uh, staff because they're they're engaged and they're wanting to at least you know bring themselves up into the profession and start to understand things. It's it's helped out yep. tremendously when you get them to put their nose in the book and, and start to move on that CST path. So so uh, on that before we wrap this up because I know uh, we all got to get going, especially you, Trent. Uh, I, back to your nostalgia. I, I'm just curious. You're in 15 years. Do you have, what's the best success story of, okay, we get it. You and your wife are successful. You're awesome. Do all kinds of crazy, great stuff. What's one of the best success stories of that bringing someone into the organization, into, into the profession that would have never had that opportunity without it. And now they're off and running. I, uh, and I've said it a few times on the podcast, but my biggest reward is when a staff member buys a house. Cause you can't, that just, it proves that they're, that they're one, they, they've got a successful career, right? I mean, that's one of the, one of the pride and joys of, of a being American is having a home ownership. Right. And so mm -hmm. I always talk about that. That's, that's one of my best, uh, best days is when I can, you know, I get the phone call for employment verification. Yeah. Because, yeah. That one. That's the last one that I hours. love. It's that, yeah. Hey, yeah. uh, just making sure this person is full, you know, full-time employee. Yeah. Here's what they state their, their wage was. And I'll like, I, like, yeah. I, I agree. That's the coolest phone call to get is that yep. that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have existed without you. So. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the best ones. Um, we recently had one, uh, on the flip side of that, I had one that, um, hung around for, I think he was here almost eight coming up on nine years and, uh, he retired mm. from Diamondback. And so you um, got to that point, I think he retired when he turned 70. So, uh, on his 70th birthday, he retired. And so awesome. that's kind of cool as well. Oh yeah. The flip side to have somebody, uh, to retire. But, um, and then of course I got, you know, Robert, uh, at my office as well. He's on his second career and mm. he's been with me. Uh, we have, uh, this year we're going to have three over 10 year employees and Robert, wow. I think Robert's at 13, Doug's at 12 and, uh, Rob will be at 10. The other guy who did retire, he would, that would have been his 10th anniversary as well, but four over the, uh, three over the age of t at the 10 year mark. Yeah. Um, and then, at, you know, at one point we we've added quite a few employees, but at one point we were like 80% over the five year, uh, anniversary mark. And so, as we've added more employees, but that creating that culture and, and understanding that, but the most rewarding, I haven't, uh, we haven't had anybody Rob, uh, Rob's working through getting his license. And so that, that part would be pretty cool. Cause he was a situation where he, um, Rob started with us coming up on 10 years ago, but he, he was pretty much done with survey. He was going to move back to Pennsylvania. There was no money in survey. He wasn't, you know, and he was pretty much checked out and then got him to come on board and then just gave him, a whole breath of new life. And now he's, you know, now he's finally, even after being with us for 10 years, he's finally realizing 
shit, I got to get my shit in gear, even, you know, at 40, whatever he is now, 42 mm. or 41 or something like that. But, um, and then the flip side, we had, um, we had Shane at the, after last year's conference, he was, he was working for the BLM and, and, you know, he had a good career at the BLM, but when we were at the conference, he realized that well, there's a whole nother world out here and he's so passionate about outreach and that kind of stuff, which is, you know, all of our company culture. And so, um, he asked to come on board and I found a spot for him. So it's, a uh, um, yeah. There's a spot for there's a spot for everybody within somebody's company one way or the other. But sure. yeah, most rewarding is for going back to your answers. Most most rewarding is when somebody buys a house for me. Yeah, because you've yeah. given them a stable life, stable career, a good profession. You know, whatever, however you want to word it. But yeah, for me it was the uh, I had a, I had a couple a couple of folks get a stamp. Nice. that yeah. I I yeah. had to sign off on, yeah. and yeah. I yep. knew I hired him when they just just got their EIT, yeah. and mm-hmm. I told that. From the beginning, like I'll let you, I'll let you stamp my forehead if you get that thing. <laughs> There's only one time, but I'll let you stamp yeah. my forehead. That's awesome. I got, uh, I got a couple now, a couple of those young ones that are under 25. I, I jokingly tell them they're going to have their own business, you know, at some point. And so oh. that, you know, that that'll be kind of cool too. So yeah. I treat them, uh, show them the way things should be done, and show them the way they should be treating employees and that kind of stuff. I, I'm not going to be disappointed if they leave to go start sure. their own business at that point, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll, so. you'll, you'll completely shut them out of the market and, uh, you know, right. and, <laughs> and call all their clients ahead of time, but still good for them. Very excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I think we've talked about it before, but there's, you know, we, we have, there's competition, but in this small of a market, there's yeah. not really competition. It's mostly no. friends. And if you're, if you're in the, if you're in the professional networks and you're mm. involved and you're engaged in the profession, it's more friends than it is competitive. Uh, competitive uh clients type thing so yeah yeah yep. hey that's a very very healthy perspective i love that absolutely yeah. tk you're the best man um any, anything else you want to get out there before we let you go i know you got to get off to uh mentoring mondays mentoring mondays right. and yep, if this right. was a live show we'd tell everybody to hop on and uh <laughs> participate but yep. as always mentoring mondays is on mondays check yep. them out MentoringMondays.xyz, right. and That's of course, right. WisdomWednesdays.xyz. Mm-hmm. That one's, uh, we're on our last one for, the, um, we're finishing up the first book this week. Nice. Um, so the, this, uh, whatever, middle middle of April, but um, we're not going to kick that one back up until the fall, just because we have kind of low participation throughout the summer. And I'll do the probably the same, I'm going to do that on mentoring as well. I might just do one a month during the summer. Mm. Um, there's just, everybody's so busy doing oh, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Last thing I want to do that you can I watch the replay views all that kind of stuff. It gets uh, there's not a lot of uh, replay views even during the summer. So we'll, we'll probably take a break come middle of June or something like that and pick it back up in September. But um, no parting words. I you know I always uh, I always tell people shoot me an email I'll respond. Um, sometimes you might have to shoot me twice, but because uh, it's you know especially if you're sending to my mentoring Monday's email, um, that's usually I don't check until usually the evening times or whatever. But um, I'm willing to help anybody. Um, you know, I've been able to fortunate to help mentor a couple of people um, throughout the country just because it's hard for you to be able to reach out and ask for a mentor in your local area, right? When you want to be a competitor against them. So um, I'm, I'm always open to, to help guys out when it comes to that kind of stuff, if you need additional advice and that kind of stuff. So I'm an open book. I always, uh, sometimes I'm too much, people tell me, but Never, there's never too much. No, not at all. Never too much TK. Never too much TK. I'm always like, in, I'm always in a better mood after I have a conversation with Trent. Why is that? 
I think you're in a better mood usually when you have a conversation with most everybody. Or maybe it's the beer. There you go. Maybe it's maybe <laughs> it's know. the beer. One of the I don't two. Know. One of the two. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, thank no you problem. so much for uh, for jumping oh, on here with us. And I love it. You want to you want to take an outro with some music here? I'm going to get to that right now, as a matter of fact. Okay, there right. we go. All right. There there we go. Other than Trent's dog, <laughs> adding value and uh, building friendships. That's right. If anyone would like to be a guest on a future show or have any ideas for topics, shoot us an email at info at thegeoholics.com. This is Hardy. All she left was me. Available everywhere. Until next time, everyone. Check out Mentoring Mondays and Wisdom Wednesdays. Most importantly. Be safe and healthy.